As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. guys welcome to another episode of bro history it's henry zamoda and danny abdeljabar danny what is up are you done eating that twizzler i'm not i'm gonna eat the last little bite right here oh we God, start the this show. guy this guy is eating a twizzler right before we start <laughs> recording this podcast and i'm like dude you can't right. eat a twizzler it's like it sounds chewy and gross while you chew it <laughs> it sounds like an old person eating oatmeal or something. With no eating oatmeal. All right, I'm oh. gonna crack a can too. Let's <laughs> just get all the no- let's just get all the sounds out of the way now. While while we start the show, why don't you just start spitting into the microphone intentionally? Right. I'll just rip oh, ass well, too. Like while we're at it, it. just yeah. Well, those are it. those are funny. The farts in the background are funny. <laughs> Ask Eric Swalwell. <laughs> Eric Swalwell. <laughs> Oh man, that was hilarious. That when he was, got caught ripping ass. Yeah, and he, like his facial expression stopped. Like his face was just like it gave it away. It like, yeah. I forget what he was even talking about. Was he talking about like immigration or something? Was he talking? I forget. <laughs> yeah, no, I, think I it don't was like, remember it was like what a, he was uh, talking about. Kids in cages man. or some shit like that. Something yeah. like he was like trying to be very serious about it too. And yeah, then suddenly like, there is a there's so much injustice going on in the south in the south border. Donald Trump, like his face. <laughs> uh, yeah, good times, man. Well, yeah. I wonder what he's up to. I, I don't know his uh, his political career, or at least his uh, political aspirations for for running for president have. He's, uh, he's, I think they. I think he had they no chance. Have ceased. Yeah, he, he had no chance. Um, so. but yeah. So, I want to tell you about my new hobby. And I think it segues into what we want to talk about today. So yeah. my new hobby is is uh, riding riding a bicycle. Right. A bicycle. Hadn't really, a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been riding in some some uh, interesting places. And um, my goal is to really to explore every single part of New York City, because I have been living in New York City since I was born. Well, I moved out of New York for a little bit, and then I moved back. For, but for the majority, vast majority of my life, I've lived in New York. I was born in Queens. Um, I moved to the I moved to Manhattan after uh, I graduated from college, and I've been living in Manhattan for eight years now, or seven years. I'm bad at math, but I've not. I haven't really explored most of New York, so I will ride my bicycle. Your to different area, my bicycle to areas I've never been to. So, I've been going to the Bronx lately to explore that because that's my. Besides going to Yankee Stadium, um, I I really have never. You don't go to the Bronx. There. Exactly. Yeah, I've gone. I've been to, to Fordham. I've been to the I, zoo. 
I went to a football camp in Fordham uh, at Fordham mm-hmm. University, uh, but that's pretty much it. I've never been to the zoo. I've, I've You've been never to Pelham been to the Bay zoo? Park. Oh shit! Never been to Brooklyn Zoo in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, Bronx, Bronx Zoo in my zoo. life. So I've been going, and I so when I go to the Bronx from Harlem, um, I'm going. You know, that is the most dangerous or the worst part of the Bronx, really, the south part of it. And um, there is a new spike in New York City, apparently, mm-hmm. where crime has risen. Yeah, there has. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been going. I've been going through the through these neighborhoods and. I will. I will say. I, I have experience. I have not yet to experience any crime. No one has. No one has done any crime on me yet. No crime done. No. No crime done. And I've been going to. to I went through uh, Mont Haven and Hunts Point, which are two like kind of pretty notorious neighborhoods. But I'm going during the day, so I'm being safe. But um, as you, it, it does look pretty questionable. Um, I don't know how that compares to places in Jersey, where you're. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've certain, been to some certain areas some like Newark or like Camden, you know, or even Elizabeth, and you know, just there's there's Passaic. There's just a lot of actually, there's a lot of places in New Jersey that I don't feel super comfortable in. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, the, from from my experience, just I've never really been to a hood in Jersey, but I've driven through one, mm-hmm. and um, they don't they look worse than hoods in, in Manhattan or not just Manhattan, but New York City in general. They rival them, yeah. Mm-hmm. New York generally is is pretty safe, right? But We've right now we're experiencing yeah. a a crime raise. So in New York City, we've had over two hundred murders since July twelfth. Really, I didn't know it was that high. That's not crazy. since not since July twelfth. As of July twelfth, as we'll of July twelfth. Oh, I was that about would to be, say since July twelfth. That's that would nuts. be that would be insanity. Um, as of July twelfth. Okay. Um, this year that is right. Yeah, last year mm-hmm. there was three hundred and nineteen murders. All year. All year. Right. So we've gone halfway through the year and we've already done two thirds of the murders. Exactly. So we're pacing 150% to goal for murders in New York. And mind you, New York City <laughs> is not what it was back in a day. It's relatively safe. It is one of the safest large metropolitan areas in the world, or at mm-hmm. least one of the large uh, cities in the world. Right. Um, however, so in 2018, there was 289 murders. In 289. Mm-hmm. 289, so less than 2019. In 2017, there was 292 murders. And there wasn't really a big spike. The, the last time New York City was pacing like over 400 murders was back in 2012 when there was a murder. There was 414. And just for some context, Chicago is half the size, is, is, is uh, less than half the size of New York. Mm-hmm. City-wise, and they typically right. will have around double the murders every single year. Right. So more there's there's more murders per capita per but, square uh, foot per per square foot. But what's interesting is that there is all these reports about crime um, that it, that is rising, and, and maybe it is. I just haven't really seen crime yet. I don't know. Have you noticed it at all? Have you noticed? Uh, I mean, I've been like coronavirus quarantining, so yeah. like I can't tell you. However. Uh, I have been watching a lot of the, you know, the Citizen app. I told you about this. It's like this app where you can like watch and like report shit. Um, but apparently, you'll see like a mugging or like you know, a shootout or something like that will pop up on the map. Um, I was mostly follow- using it to follow like the protests when they were um, spiking pretty high. But like, 
yeah, I mean, I, just anecdotally from reading the news and shit, I see a lot of, you know, this happening. It'd be like, you know, um, Brooklyn rapper, you know, Johnny McJohnerson or whatever his name is, you know, <laughs> dies in a shootout. And it's always like some rapper that I'd never heard of, um, probably smaller time. Uh, sad to hear that they dick died. Face like, killer. Dick face killer. Dick face killer. It's it's like sad to hear that they died, but like every it seems like at least once a week I'm getting a news notification that some someone got shot um, in my neighborhood or in Brooklyn in general, right? Um, so like anecdotally, I I kind of felt like there was like a bit of a rise in crime, but just showing me the numbers there, you know, having how much did you say already two hundred murders since uh, as of July twelfth? Yeah, you know, like that's yeah, I mean that's that's a lot. Well, a lot of these murders are gang-related, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's affecting people who that have a large gang presence in their communities. Right. Um, but even if we're pacing over 400 murders, if you just like zoom out and if you look at crime statistics, every single year becomes much safer. I mean, year right. by year, America is getting safer. Like crime right. rates are dropping pretty much universally, mm-hmm. um, and if you really pull back the lens and if you look at the murder rates back in the 80s and 90s it's like you know it's not even look it's like a third world country's murder rate it's yeah. like the same murder rate that would be in Caracas or or mm-hmm. it's crime in the 80s and 90s in New York just to put this into perspective in the 1980s and 1990s there was between 1500 to 2000 murders a year <laughs> jesus so the population hasn't changed that much in New York because there's usually a lot of people coming in and coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I believe that the population is higher now than it was. Oh in yeah, the totally. In yeah, a lot of people fled. A lot of people fled. A lot of people fled to New Jersey, and then that's when New Jersey got bad. <laughs> and in the, the the apex of that in 1990, there was 2,000. 245 murders that year so now we're last year we had 319 murders Mm -hmm. there was 2245 murders in 90 in 1990 1990 and Mm -hmm. all those years like early 90s late in the late um uh late 80s they were all kind of they were all over 2000 murders a year that's that's a lot of that's a, a lot, That's a lot of an people. enormous amount of violence. That's like like almost a 9-11 every year in murders. An enormous amount of violence that, that is taking place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we may we may go above that. But I, I, I think the long-term trend in, in crime statistics in, in, in New York City and across America are probably going to go down overall. There's mm-hmm. going to be spikes um, of increases. But, um, you know, the reason why there was, or one of the main, not the reason, but one of the main reasons why there was such a high murder rate in the 80s and 90s, because it was because of the crap epidemic. The crap epidemic? The crack epidemic. Did I say crap? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this crap again. <laughs> the crack, ep- because of crack cocaine. Right. Which completely decimated a lot of these communities. Right, um, and just created all these black markets for for gang activity. So that's one of the main reasons why the violence was so high was because of crack cocaine. And um, this was universal. This wasn't in New York. This was a, this was in Chicago. This was in, this was in Miami. This was in L.A. Um, 
and the crack market, the, 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 the market for cocaine in the 80s is, un, is insane when you think about it, how, how large it was. Um, do you know who Freeway Ricky Ross is? Ross. Oh. Not, the, not that, not the fat fuck uh, <laughs> rapper, the real, the real Ricky Ross. No, I mean, isn't that who he's based off of, or at least what, stole, what his name is based he, off he of? He stole the name out of, from a very famous drug dealer from South Central L.A., mm-hmm. who is uh, Rick, oh. Rick brought Freeway Rick Ross, <laughs> and he was known as the king of crack. He was a massive drug dealer. He sold right. $3 million worth of coke a day. He bought 455 Whoa. kilos a, a week. A day? A day. $3 million a day? Yeah. Fuck, that's weight. He was a massive drug lord. Um, in today's earnings, he had he, he would be he made over two point five billion dollars between ni- nineteen eighty two and nineteen eighty nine. I mean, that would put him on Forbes's list for sure. Yeah, he was an entrepreneur. He's actually an incredibly interesting person. I would type in hit and listen to some of his interviews that he gives because he's out of he went to jail. Paris now. He was incarcerated. He was incarcerated and he's out of jail now. But um, he's an incredibly interesting person, so I would look at, I would listen to some of his interviews. How does Freeway Ricky Ross feel about Rick Ross stealing his name? I don't know. I don't think he cares. Well, one of the reasons why he was so successful was because he was pretty, um, for at least from the interviews I heard of him, he was very level-headed. He seemed like he had, a, he, he didn't like want to ever engage in violence. He didn't really take anything personal. He was just all business. Uh, he for was him, just right? all one hundred percent about business. He seemed mm-hmm. like that was kind of the sense I've got from listening to some of his interviews. Mm-hmm. But the other main reason why he was so successful is because um, he had a never-ending supply of the cheapest, purest coke in America. Mm-hmm. The I think reason, I see where you're going with this. The reason why was mm-hmm. because his connect was protected by the CIA. His connect with the CIA asset. His name was uh, was uh, Oscar Danilo Blandone. And Blandone sold cocaine through Nicaraguan kingpin Norman Meneses, who was funding freedom fighters. Freedom. Hard air freedom. Quotes. Freedom fighters, with air quotes, called the Contras. The Contras. And this is where this Iran-Contra comes in, right? So for all the people who are listening going, what the, why are you guys talking about cocaine? <laughs> This is, this is the Contra part of the Iran-Contra scandal. Mm-hmm. So um, in 1996, um, the San Jose Mercury News, they published a three-part investigation titled Dark Alliance, the story behind the, the crack explosion. And it was written by a journalist named Gary Webb. And the opening lines of this article read, you know, for the better part of a decade, a San Francisco Bay Area drug ring sold tons of cocaine to the Crips and Blood Street gangs of Los Angeles and funneled millions in drug profits to a Latin American guerrilla army ran by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, a Mercury News investigation has found. This drug network opened the first pipeline between Colombia's cocaine cartels and the black neighborhoods of L.A., a city now known as the crack capital of the world. The cocaine that flooded and helped spark a crack explosion in urban America and provided the cash and connections needed for L.A.'s gangs to buy automatic weapons. <laughs> it is one of the most bizarre alliances in modern history. The union of a U.S.-backed army attempting to overthrow a revolutionary socialist government and the oozing toting ga- gangsters of 
Compton and South Central Los Angeles. So hmm. Gary Webb was reporting that the CIA-backed Contra rebels were involved trafficking cocaine to the U.S. in order to finance their, their counter-revolutionary campaign. That's which, fucking which, crazy. Which had a direct link on the explosion of crack cocaine in California mm-hmm. um, and across the country. Waging, meanwhile, we waged a war against drugs at the same time. And, and that's and Gary Webb. He has since passed away. Um, right. You know he he took his uh, you know he he committed suicide because he went under. You know he allegedly committed suicide. I think he did commit suicide. There's conspiracy theories about Gary Webb being murdered because he was shot twice. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people have confirmed that he was going through through uh, depression and things like that. But the reason why is he took so much heat for this article um, that a lot of mainstream news outlets like the Washington Post and the New York Times, they basically ruined him. Like, they they ruined him. Mm-hmm. He was kind of seen as an Alex Jones type in, in mm-hmm. the 90s, and his, his credibility was, was gone. But it came out that the CIA actually admitted to all this stuff that he was, that, that Gary Webb read, wrote about um, back in the late 90s. And what all this, this information, this report wasn't anything really new. I think... Gary Webb was the first reporter. These stories were coming out of of, of uh, the eighties um, a lot about the Contras um, you know, being involved in narcotics. Gary Webb linked it to the crap, the, the crack. I don't know he did it again. It, the crack <laughs> epidemic, um, you know, which, you know, which would essentially, you know, link a lot of really horrible suffering in black communities directly to the Reagan administration. Right. Um, so it's, it, it became a, a, a he, he, they controversialized them just like they did a lot of people who are covering the Iran Contra affair. Mm-hmm. So let's, um, let's, so, I mean, like this, this is, this is fucking crazy. Like, like what, what you're like, I think, I think our reaction here is pretty mild for what it is. What you're telling me, and what essentially we're telling the world right now is that a <laughs> some rebel group in in Nicaragua was funded through drug money here in the United States. Like, how fucking nuts is that? Well, there is a lot of ways that they were funded, and it's not out of the ordinary when you when you think about like how black markets are funded, but. The, where do you think the the profits yeah, from by from the United that, States from, though? <laughs> you know, it's, well, it's one thing if they were doing it on the black market just straight up. Like, okay, I get it. Well, it know? was a it was a black market. Essentially, what it was is that CIA assets or agents uh, were selling drugs. They, they weren't CIA officers. They were CIA agents. You know, right. they were they were assets. The assets they were they were pretty much given the green light to sell drugs. Across the U.S. because they were using, they they were protected. They were part of the, they, they were fighting the Sandinista government. Um, but I, I think we should pull this back because we, before totally. we get too lost in the weeds, because yep. the cocaine trafficking is a very small part of this. Of this, uh, it's not the entire, um, the entirety of the of the of the uh, scandal. Right. So it's an interesting part, though. It's an it's it's an interesting part. But let's pull this back to South America and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, the Nicaraguan rev- Revolution. And 
that the history of coups in Latin America that have been really going on since the early 19th, early 20th century. Um, the U.S. has a very long history of using Latin America as a sandbox. You can, I, I can, you can name more countries that have been overthrown by uh, an intelligence agency in the U.S. than have not. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I'm having trouble just like thinking of a of a of, of a, a country in Latin country. America, yeah. a South American or a Latin American country that has not been overthrown by the CIA. Um, Paraguay in 1954, Brazil in 1964, uh, uh, Chile, Chile in 1973, Argentina mm-hmm. in 1976 um, is an example. So Operation Washtub in 1954, um, the CIA planted Soviet weapons in Nicaragua in order to blame it on Guatemala. So the CIA put weapons on the Nicaraguan coast, coast to be discovered weeks later by fishermen who were in the pay of the, of the Nicaraguan president, Somoza. And it was all part of an effort to overthrow President Arbenz of Guatemala and install a, a military dictatorship of, uh, of Carlos Castillo Armaz. And, and this, you know, he was just one of the first in a series of, of U.S.-backed authoritarian rulers in, in, in Guatemala. Yeah, I mean, the um, U.S. actually had been involved, like you said, in pretty much every country, but in Nicaragua specifically since at least 1909. Um, and the U.S. mostly supported conservative groups in, in that country, right? Um, and one in particular, and you mentioned his name, um, Anastasio Somoza Garcia. He was particularly bad, I think. Um, so lots of inequality uh, under his reign, shit ton of corruption. Um, and I think where this like Iran Contra, the, the Contra part of the Iran Contra scandal kind of kicks off, I think is around like 1961. Um, so at this point, um, like a bunch of these lefties got super pissed off. Uh, at the you know Somoza government uh, and organized into what would be known the FSLN or the Sandinista National Liberation Front, and they were named in honor of their leader Augusto Caesar uh, Sandino. And then, like in the early seventies, the Sandinistas basically got a ton of local population support um, in Nicaragua when it came out that the government of Somoza uh, had embezzled millions of dollars uh, that was intended for victims of, uh, of an earthquake in 1972. So basically, they mishandled that um, you know, issue, that crisis, and they embezzled a shit ton of money. Uh, and suddenly, this, the Sandinistas looked like a really great option. And, you know, obviously, the Somoza government was almost dictatorial in its, in its fashion. So you know, their response to this was to impose heavy, heavy censorship, torture, um, you know, and, and basically mobilize the National Guard of Nicaragua, which is different than what we would consider a National Guard here. For them, it was almost like an SS Guard. It was like a paramilitary group. It wasn't like an actual government force, you know. Um, so he basically used these thugs to just crack down and, and, and try to hold an iron fist. And at this juncture... Uh, I think we're at 78, no, 77. Um, Jimmy Carter cuts off aid to Nicaragua in response. They're like private armies. Yeah. That's what they are, Mm -hmm. these National Guards. Yeah, Yeah. and Somoza was like, it was a typical brutal 
South America or Latin American, Central America, Latin American dictator, which there were plenty of at right. that time. Mm-hmm. And in 79, the Socialist Party overthrew the government. Right. That's when the Santanistas, basically, they were like, all right, after a while, they were able to take over. But the thing is that, you know, the Sandinistas, they were, they were like the uh, moderate rebels. Uh, there were groups within the Sandinistas, right? They, they were kind of, you know, not one whole cohesive party or anything like that. And there was this one group, fuck was their name? It was like the Tercernistas or something like that. I, I forget the exact name of it, but they were led, uh, they, they were the dominant faction within the Sandinistas. Um, and they were led head up by this dude named Daniel Ortega. Uh, and basically, this guy, he basically formed these alliances with non-communist groups that were opposed to um, the, the Somoza government um, with the aim of setting up uh, like social democracy uh, as like a transitional system to eventually get to a pure communist system. But that's how he was able to garner so much support and get that much majority rule because he was like only kind of communist, not like super communist. Um, but... Uh, I forget the year that this actually happened. I think it might have been in 77. Um, but pa- this guy, Pedro Joaquin Chamorro, uh, he was the editor of a, like a, a very left-wing paper. Uh, he was assassinated that year by um, by Somoza and the Somoza government. And this was like, like tinderbox. Like this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This caused riots like literally everywhere in the capital and you know, in, in other major cities in Nicaragua. Um, and through these riots um, was how the Sandinistas were able to take control uh, of the government and Ortega became the head, uh, the national head of the, of the party. I guess you can call it a party. So that's how they kind of took over. I also do want you to remember Chamorro, the editor of the left-wing paper who got killed and started the whole riots because uh, he's important for later, but much later. Yeah, and the the SNLF they they basically what they did is they you know they did what socialist governments do they 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 confiscated land and and businesses owned by old dynastic families and, right. and their friends they, you know they they nationalized banks and resources and abolished the courts and legislators and you know organized peasants and workers into to civil defense committees. Um, mm-hmm. Jimmy, what's interesting is that the initial response from Jimmy Carter was to send a hundred million dollars in aid to the Sandinistas because right. they were trying to get them to become pro U.S. Right. However, um, Cuba, Cuba, Cuba started advising them, and Nicaragua became aligned with the Soviet Union, and really once it became clear to to um, the Carter administration that the Sandinistas would not really moderate their positions, you know, that's when, you know, he, that's when it was first authorized that the the CIA was authorized to support resistance forces in Nicaragua. Um, And that's kind of where this story begins um, with, with these. So, I'll start off with this, or here's a good way to think of things. Um, you know, privateers. Mm, the name rings a bell, but like a privateer from yeah. the from the 16th century. 
Enlighten Pirates, me. Sir Francis Drake. Mm-hmm. Okay, Fr- Francis Drake, you got me now. Walter Raleigh. Mm-hmm. You, those those Pirates, famous basically. those those famous privateers that would um, do all sorts of uh, interesting stuff, like explore new lands and raid Spanish ships and, and um, rape indigenous peoples. Rape and... indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, what about them? So. <laughs> Back so Queen Elizabeth, she would contract privateers like Sir like uh, Sir Francis Drake and Walter Raleigh to okay. to intercept and raid Spanish treasure fleets. Okay. At that time, Britain or the, the British Empire—it wasn't really an empire yet—couldn't really fight Spain. Spain was the empire, so they still wanted to um, steal. Or subvert their their plunder, their dominance on the their on the their dominant their, mm-hmm. their dominance on the scene, as well as um, enrich themselves with the the ships holding gold, the booty from the Americas back to Spain. <laughs> so, but you couldn't you couldn't have your own ship steal it because then you'd be implicated in a crime, right? So she didn't want to have that. So she hired mercenaries. Like that's Proxy what the forces. privateers are. It's the pri- the privateers are. Are the Hezbollah of the seas? Yeah, they're the Kurds of the seas. They're basically mercenaries, and they would steal gold and they would bring it back to Queen Elizabeth, and be a win-win situation. That was these guys were eventually these guys were eventually knighted. Yeah, they're sea the sea the sea dogs. Yeah, they were these guys were eventually knighted if they were successful. Mm -hmm. But a lot of countries would do this back in back in. uh, the old R times of Age of Pirates. That all comes from uh, the movie Treasure Island. That's like R. Any of them actually said R. <laughs> I don't know where that stereotype comes from. About pirates. Comes from Treasure Island, the movie by Disney. It was like Disney's first like act, like live action movie. Is that um, really where it all comes from? Yeah, I forget pirates? the name of the actor, but one of the actors uh, that played a pirate, um, famous dude. I forget his name though. He, oh, shiver he, me timbers. Like he, yeah, he really dialed that shit up, and he was like, you know, he made that his own. And since then, we've been thinking that pirates are all like, I'll make you, in another word, I'll make you walk the plank, <laughs> and you'll be living in Dave, was it jo- Davy B- Booth's lo- locker? I'm bad with ty- Davy Jones talk. locker. Davy yeah. Jones locker. <laughs> yeah, in actuality, that these pirates were all just business people that um, you know just wanted to, wanted to come up in life, and a lot of them ended up you know uh, uh, holding titles and stuff like like uh, Captain Morgan of the Rum uh, ended up being like the governor of of Jamaica for a minute, you know, um, and he was a straight up pirate, like pirate pirate, a privateer, if you will. Well, what's interesting is that the U.S., um, when we first formed our country, we used um, pirates because our ships were being raided in a Mediterranean Sea constantly, mm-hmm. and you had to pay these pirates a tax. Jefferson did, right? This is yeah. Jefferson, right? So we used pirates to... Um, we used a combination of our Marine Corps, which was really the, the found, you know, the invention of our Marine Corps. And we teamed up with the, um, with, with, I guess, Barbary pirates, which was used at the, was used, but was really just, you know, pirates who lived in Northern Africa. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, you know, they they were able to to uh, get the U.S. not to have to pay the toll to these pirates. So it was like a little mini-war um, that's kind of lost. But here's an interesting fact. So you know the Marine Sabre? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was actually a gift from some... Some pirate. Not a pirate. Some uh, salt. Some, not some a sultan. sultan. Some um, leader... Uh, some king in, in the northern coast. I forget who it was, but it comes from it comes from northern Africa. It's mm-hmm. that that sword, and that's why they carry the sword, the saber. But pirates are used as as proxy forces, and that's essentially what the the, the contras were. Right. I was just going to say, like, how, how, why did we go off on a tangent for pirates? Like, <laughs> bring this back here because you can use you can use privateers, you can use mercenaries to create plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. for yourself so okay. think of so think of the a modern day of uh, a modern day way to compare this is using syria as, a, okay. as an example so um the contras let's, let's compare with the contras so the contras were the u.s funded opposition to the sandinista government right. they operated out of honduras right the main group was the nicaraguan democratic force the ndf Mm-hmm. Doesn't that sound like every single group that we support in the Middle East to fight Syrian, like, like the, between the Free Syrian Army, the Free Syrian Army, mm-hmm. the Kurdish Liberation, the, the, yeah, the PLG. Syrian Democratic, the SDF, the Syrian Democratic mm-hmm. Forces, the FSA, the Free Syrian Army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it's just whenever whenever something has democratic or or. Uh, free in their title or their political party name, mm-hmm. you know, or their paramilitary organization, you know that they're they're just a, a proxy, and they're probably neither democratic or free <laughs> in their nature. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not very nice. Yeah. They're, they're neither they're neither free or democratic. Um, but a lot of these guys were were ex military, mm-hmm. and the Contras were extremely violent. 
They carried out widespread executions. They tortured and kidnapped people. That um, rape. They, uh, they killed civilians. They targeted healthcare workers. Fucking crazy amount of shit. Yeah, and they would do some real brutal stuff. I mean, they were terrorists. They, they were they were just as they were they engaged in just as uh, much terrorist activity as as um, terrorists in the Middle East do. They. Um, some of their crimes, some of the crimes that have been reported by the Contras are, are really quite heinous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they murdered journalists um, like like ISIS. They um, did things like mutilate people. Like they would brutalize civilians. You know, they mm-hmm. they would poke people's eyes out or or cut testicles off or, right. or, or you know, cut the breast of women off. Like they would do really, really brutal things. And this, these stories were eventually reported in the 1980s during this war, during the Contra War. And when things started getting reported, um, and let's, I'll pull this back. Um, you know, Jimmy Carter started covertly supplying Contras, but you know, Reagan, when he got in office, he stepped it up. Um, you know, he he authorized the U.S. to support the Contras by giving them money and arms through Argentina prior. A, I mean, there's a reason I think that we're skipping here. This probably be pretty important context is the fact that we we're still in a cold war with the Soviet Union, right? And the Sandinistas de facto were uh, supported by the USSR, you know, like the, the Soviet Union. So, you know, when Reagan, so Carter was, was uh, uh, the president. And although, you know, he, he was kind of covertly supporting, uh, you know, the Contras, he overtly uh, shut off um, funding for uh, for them, and so uh, we have this counterfactual, this counterpoint: Reagan coming on the scene, and Reagan is big, like tough on the Soviet Union, like big on you know anti-communist sentiment that was brewing in the United States or that had been brewing for quite some time, and he promised to assist anti-communist groups abroad on his campaign trail. Right. So this was like one of his like things that he said he was going to do. And he specifically pointed out the Contras as as one of those groups that that um, he liked quite a bit. And what, what did you say uh, he called them? The, the the moral equivalent of our founding fathers. Right. Yeah. The moral equivalent of our founding fathers. And in some way he said that, um, which is quite silly. Uh, That's crazy to say that about an organization that is routinely assassinating civilians and, mm-hmm. and, uh, engaging in terrorist activity. Um, well, the founding fathers engaged in slavery. Um, it's good. It's, it's a good <laughs> argument. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the founding fathers engaged with slavery. Durr. Um, uh, Minutemen were basically guerrilla fighters, you know? The so, Minutemen. Yeah, they were basically guerrilla fighters, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't compare the two. <laughs> I I don't think that there was like any type of um, search for more like freedom man. and liber in in liberation <laughs> in the U.S. Insurgency. revolution. It was an insurgency in the British colonies. <laughs> like case in point, the, 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 they were terrorists. They threw tea in the harbor. In Boston. Yeah, what a terrorist act. (laughs) 
imagine if you called the Mujahideen, because this is all going, take in mind, this is yeah, all going yeah, yeah. on in, in uh, Soviet the Union. Time, yeah. We, yeah, at the same time, there was a humongous CIA operation going on in the Soviet Union. In uh, everywhere. The, in, in Af- in <laughs> everywhere, but in <laughs> Afghanistan, against yeah. to, as a bulwark against the Soviet Union funding the Mujahideen. Right. Who, we talked about this in the, the brave episode. The brave fighters of the Mujahideen who mm-hmm. essentially the U.S. was supporting Al- the, the the precursors of the Taliban yeah. <laughs> and the precursors of Al-Qaeda yeah. <laughs> in, in one covert operation to to really um, to bog down the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. But that's a totally different story. But these, these two operations are, are going on simultaneously. Same time, yeah. And both countries are involved with drugs, oh. heroin in Afghanistan, exactly. and Opium cocaine. In Afghanistan, yeah. mm-hmm. But yeah, Reagan, Re- Reagan started. Uh, he, he pulled that. Uh, he he, he um, authorized the support. He, he authorized more support for the Contras. I'll just say that. Right. And as a result, the frequency of of the Contras attacks increased. Mm-hmm. Duh, they got more money. The press and, more and shit. Yeah. Eventually, the press started to report on these atrocities, mm-hmm. and you can't go to Congress and be like, "Hey, uh, we need money to fund uh, these guys who are are raping and, uh, raping and, people, raping right? and pillaging civilians." Congress is, you know, Congress is going to say no. Like, we're not giving you money for that. Right. Like, you can't go in the Middle East context. You can't go to Congress and say, we need, we need money to give uh, these jihadis money and weapons and guns to overthrow government. Uh, like, I mean, you can't use Al-Qaeda as the, as the force. <laughs> you can't say, we need to give Al-Qaeda yeah. drug, uh, money and arms to overthrow Bashir al-Assad. <laughs> so you, need, you yeah. need plausible deniability and be like, we need to give it to the free Syrian army. We need to that give sounds a lot better. Weapons these moderate rebels to overthrow us. Well, I mean, if we're making that comparison, then I think it's fair to say that the FSLN was not one cohesive group either. Like, you know, on one side of the spectrum, or I should say that not the FSLN, the, um, the Contras, the, the Contras weren't one, like just one cohesive group either. I think what, what their makeup was, was like in part, uh, some extreme right-wing folks uh, that were from the Somoza government that just were vehemently opposed to, you know, the Sandinistas. You know, we're talking about ex, um, uh, ex uh, 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 National Guard, quote unquote, people from that Somoza government that were like beating up on their people and like cracking down and like doing censorship and like killing people and shit and doing the assassinations. So there's a lot, like a lot of those fucking fucked up people. Um, but then there were also like a bunch of just lefties who were sick of the Sandinista government too, right? So, you know, if we're talking about like the moderate rebels, uh, comparing them to the moderate rebels, there's definitely like, you know, groups where there were extreme fucking violent terrorists and then also just groups that, you know, just kind of joined the, joined the rabble. Um, so a- a- as a result, it makes it like, like to your point, I think it makes it easier to go to Congress and say, hey, we're supporting these moderate rebels that are fighting some cause that's some loosely in our national interest, you know? 
Yeah, and of course, it's not as black and white as, you know, the way I'm portraying it as right. every single one was a war criminal. Mm-hmm. However, it's like, you know, there's a large makeup of war of war criminals inside the army who are doing very thuggish things. And right. just like uh, mercenaries in Syria, not every single one is a terrorist, but there are a lot of them who are terrorists right. who are doing that. And Legitimately. When right. one, mm-hmm. when you have, uh, when someone is engaging in that type of behavior in your paramilitary organization then it kind of implicates everyone in there right it, it, it for for associating with it even if you're not eating people's hearts you know mm-hmm. but yeah you can't go to congress and ask for that so um what, what happened is that congress passed the bolan agreement which prohibited the use of funds for right. the purpose of over, overthrowing the government of nicaragua or provoking a war between nicaragua mm-hmm. and honduras because remember in, that was in 82 right yeah, because mm-hmm. Contras are based out of Honduras. Um, but the amendment really didn't do anything because there was a loophole in the law. You know, you could say that, well, we're not funding them to uh, overthrow the Sandinistas. We're funding them because we need to domino theory. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. they're going to take El Salvador next. Like this is going to... We need to just put pressure on the, the right. Sandinistas because every single country in Latin America is going to fall after this. They There's were even the, say, go ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, oh, they were even saying that using the the justification that hey, Nicaragua is closer to Texas than what DC is. So they were actually mm-hmm. suggesting that the Sandinistas were a threat to the border. The southern Texas. border yeah, of luck. Texas. Good luck with that. <laughs> that was a suggestion. No, no, I know, but good luck invading Texas. <laughs> no, but just like the fact that that propaganda was put out there. I know, like it's that, just like that, a stupid, it's stupid. Um, what was I going to say, though? Uh, there was also the loophole of like that they couldn't directly fund them, but they didn't say anything about indirectly. And that's kind of where we're, that's kind of where we, we find ourselves for the Iran part of the Iran Contra deal, because you know Reagan basically didn't give a shit, right? He was like, "Well, no, you know, we we gotta." Fund I suppose people, right? that we can arm them. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> um, so he basically asked his national security advisor Robert McFarlane uh, to figure out a way to get it done, and McFarlane basically looked at Iran. Well, what happened was that so what the original was. Well, sorry <laughs> there it didn't really this they were still pretty much openly uh funding the contras after that mm-hmm. um but they had a, they created another agree- amendment that actually limited so there was a second Poland amendment that that completely cut off the funding so the second amendment said that the appropriations or funds made available person to this authorization bill to the central intelligence agency the department of defense or any other agency or entity of the united states involved in intelligence activities may be obligated or expended for the purpose or which would have the effect of supporting directly or indirectly military or paramilitary operations in nicaragua Mm -hmm. by any nation group organization movement or individual so the second bowl amendment that um became law i believe in 84 um, that 
there's really no language that was left up for interpretation of that if we can if if uh, funding the contras is legal or not mm-hmm. and the cia was doing they were, they were doing, doing a lot of fucked up a lot of, a lot of these war crimes can can be directly linked to the cia's um training the leadership of the contras like they wrote they they wrote a manual called the psychological operations in guerrilla and guerrilla warfare mm-hmm. and it was it was a how to guide for an inter, uh, insurrection it advised hiring professional criminals and and neutral neutralizing ju- judges and executing civilians and inciting mob violence and you know attacking soft targets like schools and health clinics and and um you know, blowing up infrastructure like refineries and pipelines. Like it was a guide from the CIA from the CIA that was given to the Contras to uh, to show them how to revolt, to show to show them how to pretty much cause as much confusion and chaos as, as possible. So the CIA was was you know very much involved in, in a lot of these war crimes, and in addition to looking the other way, as a lot of these people, a lot of these. Uh, Drug lords were smuggling, were using narcotics monies to fund the operations, but they had to revert to covert funding after the second Bolin Amendment. So they had to find alternative methods to fund the Contras. And McFarlane, you know, one of the first ways they did it was the was through third country funding. Right. We're talking about so, the best friends in the Middle East. Yeah, we're talking about Saudi Arabia, mainly mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. So um, Robert McFarlane solicited money from, from other countries, and Saudi Arabia provided $32 million to the Contras. And there are other countries, too, that provided money, but, like, Saudi Arabia provided, provided the, majority the, of it, right? the, mm-hmm. the majority of it. Um, then there was the obvious narcotics trade that we were— we just were, talking about before, we were right? just talking about beforehand which selling crack in LA for the contras sell, sell, selling selling that coke slanging but, crack for contras um you know where iran contra gets its name is is through the arms sales to iran so iran is on the it's, other it's side confusing. of the it's, planet it's confusing like, <laughs> it's know? confusing this this uh, scandal is confusing because people are the name doesn't really make sense. No, like Iran Contra. Like, but we're talking about Nicaragua. What is? But we're talking about Nicaragua. Or like, yeah. what does Iran have to do with any of this? Like, right. So, um, a quick crash course on on U.S. Iranian history. 1953. <laughs> 1953. Because I think we have the more to. Yeah, we, we absolutely have to. Yeah. Um, 1953, the U.S. overthrows the—the the CIA overthrows the Iranian democracy, uh, President Mossadegh. Mm-hmm. They install the Shah. Right. The Shah's in power oh, until Shah, 1979. They have a brutal pol- secret police that's trained by the, by the CIA. Mm-hmm. He's overthrown in 1979. Um, they become the Islamic Republic. The U.S. is heartbroken. They are very upset. They lose their, basically, their number one ally at that time in the Middle East. And the policy goes from 
pro-Iran to not pro-Iran, to being hostile towards (laughs) Iran in a matter of a couple of months. After the after the uh, Iranian Revolution, um, the U.S. started funding Saddam Hussein, so Iraq, and kind of nudged them to invade Iran to contain the Iranian Revolution. Mm-hmm. So Saddam Hussein, they invaded Iran with U.S. equipment. And so they were fun, they were directly funding them. While that was happening, the U.S. Uh, said they um, had a coalition to prevent other countries from arming either one, either nation. So they can arm both nations, but other countries can't arm either. Well, what happened was that the U.S. was on funding Iraq in this war. They mm-hmm. were covertly funding them. You see Saddam Hussein and Donald right. Rumsfeld later meeting. Meeting. There's like that famous picture. Mm-hmm. However, um, Iran really needed the weapons from the U.S. because all of the weapons that we supply that they were using were weapons that we supplied to the Shah of Iran. And he was getting like F-14s and, and and shit like that. Right. They needed parts. They needed those. They needed those parts to keep those planes flying. Right. Um, they also needed anti-aircraft missiles and stuff like that. They needed. They needed weapons. So, in 1984, um, Hezbollah Who kidnapped is a terrorist organization that is propped up by the Iranian government. Which is which is Hezbollah is a paramilitary organization based out of Lebanon with that is funded and supported mainly by Iran. Um, they do have a lot of religious donations as well. Mm-hmm. However, in the eighties, you know, they were more violent as far as like assassinating civilians and stuff like that than they are now. Um, they kidnapped CIA officers stationed in Lebanon and Reagan's responsible. Yeah, seven of them. Reagan publicly said that the U.S. wasn't going to barter with terrorists. However, behind the scenes, they planned to sell arms to Iran through Israel in order to get hostages released. And where Israel comes in is that Israel was... Israel took the side of Iran during the Iran-Iraq war. Um, They sold them hundreds of millions of dollars of arms. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting because the U.S. and Israel were betting on different horses during the, during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, they saw Saddam Hussein as the bigger threat to, you know, to Israel. So their geopolitical ambitions. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. used Israel as an intermediary to sell them to sell them weapons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they sold them. They sold them a lot of stuff. It included a hundred tow, tow, uh, tow missiles to Iran. Those are those are anti-tank missiles, by the way. And the the revenue generated through the arms deals to the went to the Contras. Yeah, the majority of it. Yeah, I think it was so, like uh, it was like something like eighteen. No, it was thirty million dollars was appropriated 
to send weapons to Iran, and 18 million of that 30 million ended up going to the Contras as a way around the Boland Amendment, which is fucking nuts, right? So the majority of it actually did go to the Contras. So backing it up, this is fucking nuts. So trying to piece this like crazy story together, we have a uh, anti, um, like a, like a, guerrilla uh, organization called the Contras in Nicaragua that is trying to overthrow a you know Soviet Union backed uh, uh, government in Nicaragua. They are we want to fund them and support them because you know they are uh, against you know communism, right? Uh, but we can't do it uh, directly because they're actually really fucked up people and <laughs> uh, you know they they kill things and they kill. You can't ask for money for a terrorist yeah, organization. Exactly. They're basically a terrorist Congress. organization. You can't ask Congress. To- for so, money to fund fund people who are so, chopping so, people's testicles off. So Congress blocks us from funding them. Uh, so Reagan's figures out a way around it by looking at the other side of the fucking world where a different set of crazy shit is happening, where we're having an Iran and an Iraq war, uh, and we have actually a uh, an embargo against uh, doing any business with Iran, and we also had a... Um, uh, what was it? Uh, a block where we couldn't give anyone any arms. And uh, so we go through Israel to sell um, arms to Iran. And the reason why we're doing this in the first place is also because we have Hezbollah, who is attached to Iran, uh, who's, who kidnapped seven of our CIA guys. And we are not negotiating with terrorists, but we definitely are. Uh, so to get our guys back and also to fund the terrorists in Nicaragua, we sell Iran guns and weapons and shit through Israel, who's supporting Iran. But we openly support Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And the majority yeah, of the money from those gun sales goes to uh, Nicaragua. And also involved in that is the fact that we're allowing you know, Nicaraguan uh, Contras to sell crack in L.A. to make money as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's pretty story. much that's pretty much it. Um, that's fucking crazy. I mean, there's 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 a lot more <laughs> to each of those bullet points, but those that's kind of the the you know what the scandal was. There were the the, the U.S. was needed money for their <laughs> privateer army, and they did it by <laughs> I, I mean I can't illegal contraband to Iran selling narcotics markets or at least turning the way letting them sell narcotics to cocaine and drugs uh in 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 uh, urban centers um you know people say the cia did you know created crack like the conspiracy is that the cia created crack <laughs> i don't think the cia created crack like no, just crack some- entrepreneurial drug dealer Somebody, on the ground was like, I have an easier way to get people high that's going to be cheaper and more effective. Yeah, we can cut crack with baking soda. We can cook it with baking soda and it can become smokable and cheaper. Right. And it'll get you and It'll all, get you fucked up. Like it will get you worse. fucked up. Yeah. Worse. So but yeah. All this, like, like, all right. So like, obviously this is all happening under the radar and we like have the luxury of having hindsight being 2020 and all of this information is already out and widely available. You can read plenty of books about it, but like how, 
Let's talk a little bit about how, like, how it blew up because we this the the official term for Iran Contra is the Iran Contra affair, right? So, like, how did this become an affair? You know, during the time. So, I think you've got part of the story, and I got the other part of the story. So, maybe you read yours. Yeah. So, I essentially that it's what what happened was that a ship, a plane was shot down with. CIA operatives in the plane a couple of them died and then he was put on film and you know, he, he he said what happened he's like yeah I'm here with the CIA and that happened October 5th of 1986 the, the plane was flying supplies to the Contras and it was shot down by the Sandinistas mm-hmm. and American Eugene Haspinus was captured put on TV and he, he spilled the beans right and then it Same wasn't really year. reported. At, it wasn't really reported at first, but eventually there were investigations that that they you were forced to investigate it. Right. I mean, same and, year on the other side of the planet, a Lebanese newspaper named Al Shira reported the details of the arms deal through Israel to Iran. So now we got both sides of the story blowing up at the same fucking time. Right. So we got the the U.S. side of it and the. And the Iranian side of it. And if, if this, I don't, I want to choose my words wisely right here, but obviously, you know, Americans died in that plane. However, mm-hmm. it's, if this plane wasn't shot down, this never, this never would have been exposed. Like the, none of this, this all would have been complete hidden history. Right. If that, if that wasn't discovered, like we, it just, we, we wouldn't be aware of this, but What's like another interesting thing is that, um, so one of the one of the journalists who really covered this in the eighties was uh, a guy, a journalist named Robert Perry, who's since passed away two years ago, pancreatic cancer, and he wrote. I, I he has expressed a lot of the just challenges of writing this story how mainstream media outlets would really go after journalists who would who would be covering the iran contra affair or who would be who would be uh, covering the contras in a negative light and how um organizations like the washington times which is a right you know very right-wing news outlet Mm -hmm. were essentially formed to um be a watchdog and protect the Reagan administration. And um, it's interesting that the media really liked Reagan. He was in the pictures. Yeah, he was a he was a very likable guy. I he think. was like, a, he was in the pictures. He, oh, I mean Reagan. Reagan. <laughs> Ronald and Nancy are coming over. Put on your best dress, honey. <laughs> um. I mean, hey, Ronnie. Hey, Nancy. <laughs> you look great in that dress. Sit down. Hey, Ronnie. You want to have cigars with us? Hey, so tell me when you were in the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like like uh, Ronald Reagan had the swag that Trump wishes he had. You know, he also enjoyed the the popularity, the the polling, uh, and the approval ratings that Trump wishes he had. Um, you know, this guy. You know, there was huge investigations that popped up after this but reagan basically denied that he ever you know knew anything about it or that he had any direct involvement well, what, with what it. happened 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Was that the the old age was like, oh, he's just too old. Yeah. He's he like, he doesn't remember. He doesn't it. remember this, when this he old bastard. Office, he, had he doesn't know highest... what he had for cereal this morning. <laughs> I mean, when he left office, despite all this shit, he had the highest, one of the highest approval ratings in like U.S. history of any president. So like, meanwhile, all this shit is going down and, and people got convicted for this shit. Like mad people got convicted. So that it was like, First of all, there's this dude, Oliver North, uh, who I'd like to talk about kind of more in depth a little later, but he was on the National Security Council and he was like very much involved in, you know, orchestrating a lot of these deals uh, to sell the weapons to Iran. And uh, he basically comes forward on a televised, um, you know, uh, thing and acknowledged the fact that he had diverted funds to help out the Contras and that Reagan knew about it. And Reagan still got off like, you know, with no issues. Um, uh, then there was like an investigation by, um, uh, this dude, John Tower, he was a rep from Texas, uh, and they concluded that Reagan had a lack of oversight, um, but didn't directly implicate Reagan. Um, and then a second investigation in 1987 was televised and, you know, eventually Reagan testified on those, but that went on for 41 days. So like, you know, uh, what was it you know the the ukraine gate <laughs> eat your heart out this one lasted quite long too um ultimately reagan wasn't charged uh but plenty of people were convicted so um robert mcfarlane uh who we talked about earlier as being the national security advisor for uh ronald reagan oliver north uh the national security uh council guy uh this dude john poindexter who we didn't talk about but he was also important don't have, don't really have time to get into him and elliot abrams uh-huh, Elliot Abrams, um, a bunch of uh, CIA and... Um, a lot of neoconservatives that we know today were involved in this. Right, lots and lots. And government contractors and shit like that. So, like, just lots of people got convicted of crimes. But Reagan ended his administration with the best approval rating, <laughs> which is nuts. Um, George H.W. Uh, Bush... He referred to the neoconservatives who were involved, like Elliot Abrams and and uh, Michael Dean, um, as the crazies in the basement. Mm. And he just gave them he gave them South America to play with. Uh-huh. They gave them South America to play with, but you know they would never let them have. He's like, we would never let them have real power in the Middle East. Well, they well, ended up getting real power yeah, in the Middle East. It. They got what they <laughs> yeah, wanted. They, they, ended up, they ended up getting it. They were just practicing in, the, in this, yeah. It's kind of what it was. America. I feel like it was a big a big just test a, run a for... Sandbox, you know? A sandbox for what happened in... In the Middle East. With, with the invasion of Iraq along with... Right. And Afghanistan for that point. For that 
Afghanistan as well as even now the Syrian Syria. war. Mm-hmm. Benghazi, though. <laughs> the most interesting thing is, well, yeah, Benghazi mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It's on the same Libya. Yeah. Well, the most interesting, the most in- interesting thing though is that a lot of these guys were pardoned by George Bush or Bill Clinton yep, afterwards. They were just like you know, you were absolved of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the, you know, Holy Spirit. <laughs> everyone is everyone is given presidential pardons, so yeah. there is no consequence. There, yeah. there's there's just no consequences. It really for makes doing me feel like le- like less um, upset about uh, Trump commuting uh, Roger Stone's uh, you know, sentence now because it's like, I guess in 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 contrast to some of the stuff that I'm reading about for the Contras, it's like, yeah, Roger Stone's a dick. Con- but... <laughs> one government didn't know what the other. <laughs> One part of government didn't know what the other part of government was doing at all. Exactly. Like, that's the scandal. Like, right. <laughs> there's one part of government that's lying to the other part of government about a war that mm-hmm. has been prohibited, mm-hmm. has been voted and prohibited. And they're doing illegal things to fund the war. Right. Like, that, it's, and the people who are involved with it, they are not as bad as what Roger Stone allegedly did. Roger Stone, I'm no fan of Roger Stone. I think he's a weirdo and he's creepy he's a creepy weirdo. I don't think he should have gone to jail. I don't really have an issue with him being pardoned. However, I do have an issue with with Oliver North and with I mean Oliver North got a fucking TV show afterwards. Right. So I mean, it's like this kind of jumps into my like Nicaragua, um, my post story shit, right? Um, but you know, if you want to jump into the Oliver North one, yeah, I mean, he was sentenced to three years, but it got dropped on appeal in the appeals process, and then later he actually ran for uh, uh, Senate in Virginia. He lost, but he did actually a pretty good job, um, and he wrote tons of books. Uh, a lot of them were bestsellers, made shit ton of money, and then he, like you said, he landed that cushy commentator job on Fox News where he was talking. I think he was doing like a military history or some shit like that uh, on Fox News. Um, and most recently, I think, uh, in 2018, he was named the president of the NRA, which I think is fucking hilarious uh, and totally appropriate uh, because uh, if you consider how many guns he was selling to Iran in his heyday, it makes sense that he would take over the National Rifle Association here. Um I mean, personally, I think this is all fucked up. You know, I think the reason why a lot of our systems of government suck so bad is because there's no accountability. You know, people break the rules and break the law, and then they, some of them even get convicted and sentenced to things, and then we're just like, yeah, you're fine. Go ahead. You're good. And then they, like, I know. There's, there's no, like, repercussion behind it, so, like, they don't think that they, they've done anything bad. Like, it's like if you, if you had a toddler, right, and they did something wrong, like they drew on the fucking wall with crayon, Right, and then you tell them, okay, you're going into timeout, and then you walk them over to the corner, and you're like, eh, never mind. Like, do you think that that toddler is going to recognize the fact that they've done something wrong? The likelihood that they do something wrong again is going to be pretty high, and also they're going to devalue the idea of timeout. Like, timeout is nothing for them. It's just you know, they go, it's a walk to the corner. You know, this is just yeah. That's why I'm pissed off about uh, uh, Roger um, Stone and Oliver North and a lot of these you know commutations of of sentencing uh for these reasons because like if you are you know it's it's like regular people like you and i we can break a law and we're gonna get fucked you know 
and we have to do the we have to do the time for our crimes like what's up with that if you yeah, don't like and, the and law it, then change the law but like that's you know it's weird our laws don't don't um you know the the minor crimes that we do like jaywalking mm-hmm. or maybe it's minor traffic violation or something like that that normal people um will do they don't compare even selling drugs or doing things taking drugs or selling drugs or nonviolent crimes which can send you to years in prison uh, don't compare with illegally uh, sponsoring terrorist terror organizations. organizations yeah and and what's funny is that like some of the things that we can do as, as normal citizens and get in trouble for like the consequences of them have so much more weight for us than you know the consequences and and the inherent weight of funding a terrorist organization in nicaragua like oliver north went on to become a millionaire there was no and people listened to him and like fox news hired him to like tell his side of the story (laughs) you know like it's like what kind of a perversion of like you know uh I'm I'm going way off. The well, a lot of the, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys were promote were promoted and were um were put in positions of power during the Iraq War, like Elliot Abrams and um, Michael Ledeen. Like these guys, people were were prominent people in the Bush administration. This in in the in a George H W Bush not George W Bush administration. So they were rewarded ultimately for a lot of these actions. They were rewarded for bad punished. behavior, for, for breaking laws. Yeah, um, I get it. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's government for you. Hmm. You want to hear some other crazy post-story shit from Nicaragua? Sure. Okay, so um, pretty much right after... Like the whole Iran-Contra scandal blew up, um, and the U.S. basically de facto stopped giving money to the Contras. Uh, the Contras just basically stopped gaining traction in Nicaragua, right? Um, so once the U.S. support stopped, they basically agreed to a peace deal uh, with the uh, Sandinista government, and by '89, most of the uh, most of the government there. Um, excuse me, most of the Contras had already disbanded, right? Um, and because they were all, like, expecting to do this, like, big, you know, free election or whatever. So everybody was happy, so, and they were just like, all right, let's just vote this shit out instead of fighting it out. And so Daniel Ortega, the dude who, the Sandinista leader, who had been there for, like, 10 years, he ended up losing this election. Like, he lost to uh, the National Opposition Union, which was, like, a loose coalition of like anti um fslm parties um but it was headed up like the top of the ticket the presidency ended up going to violeta barrios toros de chamorro so you might recognize that name i told you guys to put a pin in this dude's name she is the widow of pedro joaquin chamorro who was the editor of that left-wing paper way back when that was assassinated and started all of the riots that put the FSLM Sandinistas in power. So pretty ironic that the widowed wife of the person who who started the riots that put 
uh, uh, Daniel Ortega and Power won, like beat him in a race on a completely different like opposition party. Uh, to think of it this way, imagine uh, this is gonna be crazy. I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but imagine if like uh, uh, George Floyd. Ha- I don't know if he had a wife or not, but let's assume that he did. Um, and le- you know, let's assume that the you know Black Lives Matter uh, movement gains giant popularity and takes over the country for the next ten years, right? And in ten years, the estr- the, the the widowed wife of George Floyd becomes a Republican and runs and wins. Like, that's how ironic this situation was in in Nicaragua. And what's interesting about this is that the Chamorro administration did pretty fucking well, actually. Um, they were able to disarm the majority of the Contras through diplomacy and not through, like, fighting. Um, they did a pretty good job um, with, you know, inequality and, and, and stuff like that. But ultimately the, you know, story of the, of all governments here, the economy wasn't doing so well, uh, which led to another crazy twist. And that is that Daniel Ortega, that guy that lost to this, uh, uh, woman, um, he was elected again. And this was in 2006. So they went back to the crazy FSLM guy. <laughs> so that, I mean, you think like the United States is polarized, like like Republicans and Democrats, like these Nicaraguas. It's like much much worse as far as polarization goes. It's so much worse that they're able, they're willing to like be like if we we reelected uh, George Bush again, just just because we're like sick of everybody else. Let's just go back to George Bush, you know. Now he he um he calmed down a bit uh, since the the last time that he was in government. Um, you know, he's allowing much more U.S. investments and he was setting up programs to combat hunger and increase health care. But apparently he's still uh, cozies up to Iran, Venezuela and Cuba. So there's that like commie in him, you know, uh, and uh, allegedly there's a deal in the works with China to build a Nicaraguan canal to like compete with the Panama Canal. And also there's some talk about him wanting to potentially hand over the presidency to his son and not do a free and fair election, which sounds super dictatory. So that's what's going on in Nicaragua right now in the post story. Pretty nuts, huh? So they're about to get under... China is looking at them like they're dinner as far as offering them... um, They're going to give some predatory loans. (laughs) Some predatory loans to build this canal. Uh Uh-huh. And then that I mean, a canal be, in Nicaragua would be great for Nicaragua, you know? Oh, yeah, it would, be, it would be really good for Nicaragua. But it's just, like, interesting that they said that it, Nicaragua could— there was a threat um, to the border of Texas. And, like, listen, man, I don't—you I don't, know me, I don't really uh, support or endorse socialism or any type of socialist government. <laughs> um, I definitely don't endorse— paramilitary groups either or mm-hmm. funding illegal <laughs> illegally funding uh paramilitary groups <laughs> um but at nicaragua was a is a very poor country mm-hmm. the the narrative that 
they were going to be a threat to the to the U.S. border is beyond insane to me. Is like beyond is beyond crazy yeah. that they could be they could what what are they going to do? Put sleeper cells cells in Texas well, I, and they're going to start blowing were, up? Yeah, I don't th- I don't actually think that they were insinuating that they'd be a military threat to us, but perhaps like yeah, a, like a like a um, ideological threat. You know, an ideological threat. It's just they're just dumb talking points. Like yeah. know, it's for <laughs> it's for the media to eat it up. Right. So Red meat. Mm-hmm. For, to create force multipliers. So mm-hmm. you know, one person says it, and then another person will say it, and then another person will say, "Look, did you know that they're closer to Texas mm-hmm. and DC?" <laughs> you know, it's that type of propaganda, kind of just like a lot of the propaganda. The same type of prop type of, type of propaganda was used during. Um, Iran Contra was used during the Iraq War, like um, you know these these, or or even during the bailouts. I mean, it's used frequently, like too big to fail. The too big to fail during the bailouts, mm-hmm. or um, I'm trying to think of a good force multiplier in, during the Iraq War. Um, WMDs, duh. WMDs, but like like just talking points that everyone repeated. Um, well, that he was secretly creating, like gas and uh nuclear weapons i think that i feel like that's what everybody was saying or that they were supporting terrorists somehow i'm talking about slogans yeah i'm trying to think of one as well it's so hot that i'm like not remembering any of them right now anyhow i know too big to fail pops up oh smoking gun the smoke hey, here all right I just pulled an article up the axis of evil type mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like just creating the you know Iran Iraq and North Korea and right. the axis of evil mm-hmm. um will be will be greeted in as liberators mm. like like those types of slogans that are meant to be wall. repeated Locker that up. are repeated are repeated by um by by people who then go ahead and they repeat those lines, mm-hmm. um, like a slam dunk case about the evidence of of when George Tenet said that the evidence of of Iraq of having weapons of mass destruction, the slam dunk case, it, was, it wasn't. Um, it's oh yeah, shock and awe. Is another good one. I have a mm-hmm. list I just pulled up. Yeah, I'm just... that's a good one. Anyway, I lost my my train of thought. Why why are we talking about force multipliers again? Just they're an effective way of propaganda mm-hmm. to to get public support for stupid shit. Stupid shit like Nicaragua was going to invade Texas or some shit like that, right? <laughs> yeah, or they're they're moral equivalents of the founding fathers, uh-huh. or uh-huh. or if you want to go, you know, moderate rebels is a, is an example of one, yeah. or the bailouts, the too big to fail, um, that was always used went during the during the during the bailouts and Wall Street bailouts. Um, like those are the type of things that are like these, these dumb one liners that are used to just, uh, they're used for uninformed people to repeat to their uninformed friends to get a general consensus to, 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 uh, 
it's so fucking hot right now. I'm, le- I'm losing. There's no AC on, and I'm so hot. I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. Well, that Do was, you have anything that was else our to say? story. <laughs> that was our story. It's an hour and twenty minutes in, and it is blazing hot right now. There's no AC on. It's about eighty-seven, eighty-nine degrees in my room. So I think uh, I think we should call this one. Yep. Call it. Right. Time of death. All right. Eleven oh nine p.m. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Bro History. I hope you guys like these uh, origins uh, stories where we do the origin of something. Um, we've got some really good feedback on our Civil War episode as well as our World War One episode. So hopefully um, this Iran-Contra episode uh, will will get the same type of positive feedback. Um, I'll just add a note. This is enormously complicated, and um, you know, there's a million things that we let out and that we over that we left out and we oversimplified. But this is an enormously complicated subject that is really hard to explain, and it's it's very difficult to digest all the moving parts. Uh, we didn't really even scratch the surface as far as the corruption and who was involved and a lot of the motives that were involved in it, but I know this was really meant to be kind of a, uh, really just a crash course in what Iran-Contra was, because, um, you know, my mistake when first learning about it was that I would get really into the weeds of something without knowing, you know, what the full scandal was. Mm -hmm. So I ended up just kind of getting lost into one thing. So hopefully this was kind of a good overview um, if you thought this episode was interesting, um, let us know. Uh, and um, Danny, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, hit us up. Uh, join us on uh, our uh, YouTube stream. Uh, shout out, Marshall. I see that you're uh, posting some comments there. We'll take a look. Um, but yeah, uh, let us know what you'd like for us to, to cover for the next uh, couple of stories. All right. And uh, rate and review the podcast um, if you are on Apple iTunes. Um, helps us grow and if you are subscribed to it on youtube itunes whatever whatever platform you're listening on all right i am going to go turn the ac on um (laughs) peace see ya We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.